You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. fun. We'll see y'all in a few minutes. Bye. Bye. Um, In his letter to the Philippians, Paul gives us a really strong command. Um, Beginning in verse one of chapter two, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, Uh, And this is a rhetorical question uh, or rhetorical statement. The answer, of course, is yes, of course there is encouragement of Christ. Of course there's consolation from love. Of course there's sharing in the spirit. Verse 2, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Last week, we looked at how the triune nature of God uh, shows us that God is a God of love, but also a God who invites us into that love. But here in Philippians, the scripture gives us a glimpse as to exactly how this love works, like what, what this love uh, consists of, what it looks like when in God's love the rubber meets the road. And in this new community of love, we are not just encouraged to enter into love, there's an expectation that, that encountering this love is actually going to profoundly transform us. We're in the process of unearthing these ancient wellsprings in the wasteland. These places where the church for 2,000 years has come to to drink deeply from, to find nourishment and refreshment and joy and hope and delight in. And I'm hoping that as we return to these fonts, we too can, can have some hope, can have some healing for some of the wounds that many of us carried. Some of these wounds that have rightly left us jaded and cynical. We don't have to be a jaded and cynical people. We can really be a people of love. We can really actually live as a people of hope. We can be, as the people of God, a people of profound joy. And so this week, what I want to uncover is this third spring of life. I want us to see what it means that the God of love actually invites us into this love. 
Uh, I'm gonna make a profound, not profound, uh, a bold statement. I do that a lot. Uh, I paint with very broad brushes. It sometimes serves me well, sometimes doesn't. But I think humans are obsessed with transcendence. We probably wouldn't call it that. You might call it, I don't know, being better than the neighbors next to us, keeping up with the Joneses or the American dream. You might call it success or happiness. Whatever you call it, humanity is on a quest of becoming. We are not satisfied as we are. We are constantly reaching and striving to be something more. Early morning on Wednesday before the sun came up, I was uh, running with a friend and I looked up and was immediately stopped in my tracks. I could see the Houston star. Just kidding. Uh, as I'm running, I look up and I see this like silent floating string of stars. It, it appeared to be like hundreds of them. And a perfect line just, I'm like, I like stop. What in the world am I looking at? I'm like, wait, no, I've seen, like, I've just recently seen, oh, this is, this is Starlink. I'm looking at Starlink. So Starlink is Elon Musk's uh, really bold attempt at giving the globe the internet. I'm sorry. It's his bold attempt at selling the globe the internet. <laughs> and I'm like, who wakes up? and says, I'm going to launch 60 satellites into the sky over and over and over and over again until the atmosphere is covered with them and the entire world can have my internet so that we can go to Mars. Like, who dreams up something like this? What drives that sort of innovation, that sort of aspiration? What drives this ambition? And while many of us don't have the grandiose dreams of like, launching Starlink and becoming, I don't know, some sort of AI creatures that live on forever and ever and ever, I think that that internal ambition is the same thing that drives us to get more Instagram likes. Or maybe it's the same thing that drives us to be proud about the fact that we don't even have Instagram in the first place. It's the same innate quality that lends us towards tribalism, Colonialism, racism, militarism, and the thimming reality we see in the world around us. It's what Philippians calls here selfish ambition. A life lived for me and mine, for my people and my tribe, the advancement of us against them. But Paul reminds us here in Christ, there is no them. There's only us. Philippians remind us, reminds us that Christ's coming is God's profound yes to all of humanity. This is what the scriptures speak to here. Our quest for transcendence or happiness or power or whatever is in the end our rationalization for the major horrors of the world. It's also our rationalization for what we would call the minor horrors of our personality flaws, of our shouting at our spouse, 
of our selfish ambition to take advantage of our coworkers so that we might get ahead, of our othering of our neighbor because they're different than us, our sense of superiority, our joking at another's expense, our greed, our cynicism, our suspicion, are no less violations of the well-being of our globe and the humans around us. Back in the garden, this will to power is the fruit that the snake dangles in front of humanity. Eat this and your eyes will be opened and you too will be like God. But the lie was not in what humanity would learn. The lie was in what humanity would become. See, the question that humanity ought to have asked Satan in that moment is, wait a second, what exactly is God like that we should become him? Is he a God who knows both good and evil? Is that what's being held back from us? Thus, Paul's strong language in Philippians, the way of God, the way we transcend, the means to become more than what we are is not our selfish ambition, but it's self-giving love rooted in humility. Um, in the words of my favorite 30 Rock character, the way up is down into the crevasse, lemon. Sorry mid-2000s reference. So Philippians shows us in verse 5, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Not made but the one through whom all things were made does not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Something to be taken a hold of, something to be seized, something to be claimed as his own. There is no selfish ambition in Jesus. There's no an, an inkling of conquest, at least not in the way that we think of it in Jesus. There is no hustle, flow, ambition, though, inside of Jesus. The rightful heir of transcendence lays no claim on the throne. But instead, verse 7, he empties himself. The God who has a claim on all things, who is the source of all things, empties himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God in full, does not exalt himself but empties himself. He doesn't flex but he chooses vulnerability and weakness. He doesn't conquer, but in love allows himself to be conquered. And Jesus, God becomes human, and this, my friends, 
This is our salvation. That God has become one of us. This means that God is not indifferent to our situation. He's not indifferent to our suffering and our trials and our stress. He's not indifferent to our anxieties and our depression and our loneliness. He's felt them. Like really, actually felt them. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to suffer and to die. And God became man. This is the answer to the longing of our hearts. This is the need that's at the root of our selfish ambition. This is the divine rebuttal to the serpent's temptation because it shows us first and foremost, we are not God's. No, we are weak. We're needy. We're impoverished. And in many ways, we ought to be God forsaken. No, we are not God's. We're in need of God. This week alone, I've had conversations with many of you, and some of this is like actual real stuff. Some of this is speculation because, right, we're humans. But this week alone, I know that many of you in this room have encountered like caring for people who've lost the will to live. You've had like fights with your spouses and partners that have left you like feeling isolated and alone from the person that you used to feel closest and safest to. Many of you have been betrayed. Many of you are overwhelmed and overcome by like the just reality of the relentless nature of work and it just keeps coming and piling up and piling up and piling up. And, and in the midst of all of this, we're dealing with uh, right, mental stuff and emotional stuff and circumstances and on and on and on it goes. Others of you have had to bear the weight of addiction. Or maybe better said, you've had to bear the weight of sobriety. That terrible burden that feels isolating and lonely and unrelenting. Still others have dealt with illnesses that have left them feeling so weak and so alone and so invaluable that you just think, I'm worthless. And it's into this context that God enters. We're needy, and unlike the eternal Son of God, we do not exist in the form of God. And unlike the eternal Son of God, we do try to seize and grasp and claim divinity as our own. This will to power, this assertion that we can somehow self-actualize ourselves is rooted in our nature as sinful creatures. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. But in our powerlessness and our corruption, we're striving towards the powerful and incorruptible. We're doing it in our own strength as if we could ever get there. Our way out is not up. It's not via our own efforts. Our way out is the God-man. It's the Son of God who has become one of us. The stooping God who bends down to humanity in order to lift them up 
out of the mire. This is the God of love who restores communion by becoming one of us. And in this, we learn something about ourselves. We are in need of divine intervention. We need God. More than the oxygen in our lungs, more than the food in our bellies, we need God. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and our salvation from the wasteland won't be found in the wasteland. But it bursts forth from the outside, and it's glorious and beautiful. See, Jesus is not a human who somehow became divine. He's not this really good example of what you too can do. Right? He's not writing a book like, follow these five steps to becoming the son of God. He's not a guru or like a master teacher, right? He, he might be those things, but that is not what makes him valuable and of worth to us. He is not merely an example. His full divinity. He is God in the flesh. He is love incarnate. Because only love can make us lovers again. Only life can bring us to life again. Jesus restores us to God. And as we learn that we are, of course, in need of divine intervention, we also learn then something about God. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope you'll hear this. Philippians 2 tells us that God is absolutely on your side. God is on our side. When God adds humanity to God's nature, he involves himself with our suffering. He, he ties himself to us in a way that says, hey, I, I am with you in this. Not from some like distant, like, oh, wow, shucks, that really stinks. But it's Brene Brown's like silly little uh, YouTube illustration where you go down into the cave with the suffering. There's like five of you in here that have watched that and you're, you got it. I see you. I see you. <laughs> God enters into it, all of it, to the point of death. Like wrap your heads around this. The eternal God who can never die willingly chooses to die. Why on earth would you do that? God's response is for you. For you. I did it for you. And so God gives us that which we cannot give ourselves. And God coming down and becoming human, Jesus unites humanity to God. And Jesus makes us like him. God's act of knitting God's self together with creation is, yes, an act of lowering and stooping. But in this, it's also an act of lifting up. It's an act of resurrection, if you will. So that Jesus puts his arm around us and looks us in the eyes and doesn't say, you better worship me. But instead, he looks us in the eyes and he says, my dear brother, my dear sister, I am with you. I am one of you. I am here. This is what the book of Hebrews so clearly tells us. God is now our brother. 
in this identification that God is on our side also reaches down and meets our deepest human need, our need of becoming, our recognition that there's something about ourselves that we don't uh, like. And maybe I'm projecting here. Maybe you'll love yourselves like a lot more than I do sometimes. Like I've never done a thing. I've never misstepped ever. I'm fantastic. But for the rest of you who are like me, the Christian message is summed up in this, that God has shared in humanity with us so that we can share in divinity with him, so that we can become more than what we are, so that we won't always be the, the bundling humans that hurt the people we care about. Uh, for those of us that grew up in like not Eastern churches, this is like a weird concept. But I, I'm not just saying that we become like morally like Jesus. No, that there's something here that, that Peter calls partaking of the divine nature. Like something about what it means to be human is changed forever in Jesus. Uh, it's what Athanasius says, the Son of God became man so that we might become God. It's the thing that the serpent was dangling in front of humanity the whole time. Hey, you want to be like God? Don't listen to God. Don't submit to God. Don't believe in God. Go this way. You can do it in your own strength and might. But Jesus, in humility, trusts God above all else, even to the point death. And it's in this that we find divinity. So when the Son of God becomes human, he ties our destiny to his own. Uh, Philippians continues, verse 9. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ sharing in our death allows us to share in his life. This is what we confess at baptism. That we are buried with Christ and we are raised to walk in Christ as new creatures. The same author of Philippians in Romans says that we also, as the brothers and sisters of Christ, the sons and daughters of God, share in Christ's inheritance. The same one that says Christ was raised up and elevated and given the name above every name. We somehow get to participate in his glory. What? That's madness. And so Jesus, in his stooping down into our mess, lifts us up out of our toxic, violent cycles. And in his entrusting himself fully to the God of love, he shows us the way of life. Not the selfish ambition way of life, but the true way of life. The way of God. And this drives scripture's demand on us back in verse 1. It's a command to live freely in sharing rather than hoarding. It's a command in loving freely without worrying, wait, what might this cost me? We can freely give ourselves to one another the way God has freely given God's self to us. And it's scary 
Because wait, I might lose my station. I might lose my position. I might lose my stuff. I might even lose my life. But if God is for us, like really actually for us, who can stand against us? So this means that becoming like God means living incarnationally. Jesus becoming human is called the incarnation. It's what we celebrate every Christmas. Sorry, it's not his birthday. Make your Jesus birthday cakes and blow out the candles. That's fine. <laughs> There's something far more rich and profound that's going on there than just happy birthday, Jesus. Even when little kids sing it. We are an incarnational people who make up an incarnational church. At least I hope we are. This means that we, regarding others as better than ourselves, look out for the interests of others. That our lives are not centered on building our empire, but our lives are centered on self-giving love. That we really begin to realize that our lives are directly tied to the well-being of others. This means three things, and we'll wrap this up. This means that we're here for one another, right? If God is for us, we are for one another. This is what it means to be incarnational. We are co-creators in making this church a safe, inclusive place of love. We want it to be filled with justice and reconciliation and beauty and delight. We want it to be filled with Jesus. And this means sharing with one another, understanding why things like inclusion matter, why racial reconciliation matters, that these are not just things that ought to happen out there, but they should happen here first and foremost. It means we care for one another in our grief and our hardships and our stress our pain means that we actually listen to our brothers and sisters. We celebrate and we rejoice with one another in our triumphs, successes, and joys. It means we live lives where we are really for one another. And as we do this, we can live lives and become the type of church that is here for our city. An incarnational life is one where we are for the city and the people in it, all of it, and all of them, from River Oaks to the tent camps. This is our city, and we are intrinsically tied to it. Its well-being is our well-being. And so our neighborhoods and our neighbors, our workplaces and our coworkers can be lifted up by our presence, both as a congregation and as individuals, if we will live into this self-giving way of love. Imagine Houston, Texas being a better place because Redemption Church exists within it. Lastly, we are here for those outside of us. In Christ, there is no them, there's only us. And this means that Jesus' condescension, his stooping down, his lowering himself and uniting himself with humanity was for you. It's also for the people you hate. It's 
for the oppressed, and it was for the oppressor. God is for you, yes, absolutely, but God is also for your enemies. And suddenly we realize that the God who is for us is not for our ideologies or for our theology or for our whatever. The God is for us as we are. And our violence and our brokenness, God wants so much more for us. And so we look at the outsider, even those who would make themselves our enemies and drinking deeply from this wellspring of incarnation, we're reminded, oh, they actually matter to God. They matter to God. And Jesus' incarnation shows us the way to life is not in conquering or conquest, it's an embrace. That in vulnerability, we open and expose ourselves to hurt. And we reach out to each other, to our city, and even to our enemies to embrace them with the love of Jesus. Let's live lives of embrace. Let's be like God. Let me pray. Jesus, this idea stirs so much hope in me. It stirs hope of, of what we could become. It stirs hope of the reality that even in our failures, um, we don't have to be enough because you are enough. It stirs hope that we're not stuck in those failures. They don't define us. That whoever we were, you have changed that definition in yourself. That we get to participate fully in your nature. We get to participate fully in the God of love. And so today as we continue to worship and this week as we go out to our homes and our workplaces, will you give us the strength, will you give us the faith, will you give us the love that we need to live incarnationally, to live like you. We love you. We worship you. The God-man. God with us. Our King, our Savior, our brother. like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.